We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Way early this morning, Brad Higdon shared a major spoiler alert from everyone's favorite hit show, Sad Emojis, to express his feelings about the plot twist and a playlist he made to drown out his sorrows? Dude, oversharing alert. Brad, Geico has something worth sharing with those who haven't defriended you. Like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance at Geico.com. So stop moping about the post-apocalyptic world and start saving in the real world. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free 
contest entry today. It is Monday, November 30th, the post-Thanksgiving weekend as we look back on week 12 in the NFL. Uh, kind of an odd breakup uh, this weekend of how the games broke down, you know, three on Thursday, uh, a bunch on Sunday with no teams on bye anymore. And now the, the marquee game Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, of course, in a clash uh, of the two top teams, I think we can agree, Derek, in the AFC North. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch this game tonight, said no one ever. But actually, there may be some useful fantasy performances. Josh McCown instead of Johnny Manziel probably bumps up the value of Gary Barnage. Buck Allen as a starter is a thing now with Justin Forsett's broken arm. Is he going to go by Javorius? Is he going to go by Buck? What's it going to be? I think it's got to be Buck at this point. That's such a great nickname, right? Yeah, it seems like a good I mean, nickname Javorius for a running back. Itself is a, a pretty excellent name. It's a good name, but it's hard to say if you're an announcer. You know, yeah, it's, it's a lot, lot of syllables. Easy as it gets. Just rolls right off the tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we're all looking forward to this disaster on Monday night. It's a good night if you put up a Christmas tree to probably do that or something while you watch the game, like. Because it's not going to yeah, require you your wanna, full attention. You don't want to be just watching the game. You want to have at least something that keeps you from watching too much of the game. Right. Have uh, have a second screen going. Watch some NBA games. Do do something. Yeah, you got Bucks Nuggets coming at you tonight. Oh, Bucks Nuggets. That, that's that's <laughs> where all the attention is going to be. Uh, yes, exactly. So we'll start. You know, as we always do, we'll break down all of the games from this past week. Uh, and you know, like we said, three games on Thanksgiving Day. How was your Thanksgiving, Derek? It was good. I got to see both sides of the family. Uh, ate a lot of food, of course, like everyone does. The leftovers are finally gone. Had the last of the leftovers last night. So it's back to the taco diet that I've been on for the better part of the last 31 years. So I'm looking forward to that, too. You know, it's, it's always good to go back to tacos. How many times a week are you eating tacos? Um, I mean, if we're counting, like, burrito bowls as tacos, probably three on average, maybe two and a half from, from like, having a bad week and end up getting a sandwich get more than I want. Four or five. Oh, like in, in my utopia, it'd be at least four or five times a week. Switching up the kind of meat? Yeah, you get chicken in there once. You get some right. beef in there once. If you have a really good week, you could do some uh, like adobo pork or something. You know, get really fancy. Yeah, I mean, it's getting a little too cute there, I think, for my liking. Yeah. Um, but we want to start breaking down these games? No. no. Um, no. Prolong it a little more? We, we should talk more about food. We Hope- should. Hopefully. I avoided eating pie. I didn't eat any didn't eat any dessert. Why did you pass on the pie again? Because, like I said, opportunity cost. You eat pie, you have less room in your stomach for stuffing, less room for green bean casserole, less room for turkey. You know, the real Thanksgiving food. It's not about dessert. It's about it's about the comfort foods. But I found the flaw in the opportunity cost argument. Those foods are never out at the same time. Every Thanksgiving I've ever been to, all the turkey stuffing, green bean casserole stuff is all put away when the desserts come out. So then you're just choosing between what's out on the counter now. And I, I'm well, never right. I'm never going to dig into the fridge and like warm up my own leftovers when there's pie readily available right there. Well, it's it's more of a if you eat too much, you know, like you have to save room for pie basically is what I'm saying. You know, if you if you if you're going to if you're planning on eating a piece or two or maybe three or four pieces of pie after dinner, you're probably going to eat fewer helpings of mashed potatoes, stuffing, you know, all those type of foods. So it's kind of a you know, rather than having to save room for this, I'm just going to keep eating more uh, of the foods that I like. Shout out to my wife's uncle, by the way. We were at a, a house. With, the men usually occupy the basement and watch football, and the women tend to just stay upstairs and watch football up there for some reason. It's very odd that we don't just watch it all in one room. Uh, but he called his wife upstairs on his cell phone 
to bring him dessert, and I thought oh, this this can't this can't go well. Like this is no. this is not going to end well. Some women would would maybe lose it. I think when they re- when they receive that call. If I called my wife from inside the same house and asked her to bring me a plate of pie and a coffee. She might bring me the coffee and like throw it on me because I can get up and get my own, right. and, and it's just you know different eras or whatever. You so at least text. It, yeah, you, you can text. He calls once. I think she hung up on him the first time. Second time, she listened a bit longer. Still didn't bring him anything. He then called the house phone, which I knew happened because it popped up on the TV we were watching that he was calling. I was like, <laughs> looked at him like, did you call the wrong number? Like, did you accidentally call? Oh no, 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 no. The house instead. Like, no, I want to get their attention. And after like six phone calls, down comes a plate of dessert and a coffee. I was I was shocked that it, that actually it actually worked out. Yeah, that's one of those things. I guess you just keep pounding until it finally works. It's something you can only do if you're like over fifty years old. Yes, yeah, so I got to watch most of the games on Thanksgiving Day. I, I did miss the entire uh, Eagles Lions. I'd listen to it on the radio. I was traveling during that one. Uh, but I, I got to watch all the Panthers Cowboys except for late in the fourth quarter when it was I mean it, it was pretty much decided midway through the second quarter looking back but uh, the TV had to go off during dinner and no one no one else seemed to be as against that as I was so I didn't really didn't really want to make a fuss you know and, and tell my grandma to turn it back on so I had to miss the end of that one missed a, a little bit of the beginning of the of the Green Bay game which again in hindsight doesn't seem like too big of a deal the way that one turned out but uh didn't get to watch most of the the fourth quarter of that one either. I uh, had to get back to the hotel, and you know, little cousins begging me to take them, you know, to the hotel pool. Basically, the entire night. Finally, gave in, partially out of you know, fine. You guys are you know, don't get to see you guys too often. All you know, your little kids. I probably would have wanted to swim when I was in fourth grade. Partially that, and partially I was just so frustrated with how Green Bay was playing that it was pretty easy to just you know say screw it. I don't I don't feel like watching the rest of this. So. I was relegated to watching the game cast of the game uh, from my phone from the hotel hot tub. So, as I'm you know frantically refreshing the the updates throughout the fourth quarter, at least I had the comfort of a hot tub to to ease the pain of what was a pretty depressing result. Yeah, I drove back home from the aforementioned Thanksgiving, where my wife's uncle was calling his wife upstairs to bring him dessert. Um, I, I left that at halftime to drive back in the rain to get back to work on Friday because uh, I didn't want to drive Friday morning you know, an hour and a half to work. That wasn't going to be a good fit. And listening on the radio, it just it sounded like every chance the Packers had, every time they started to build up momentum, some little thing would go wrong. You know, there'd be uh, well, the interception was a big thing that went wrong. The lacy fumble. Lacy fumble. Just, it was one setback after another. And then finally on that last drive, it sounded like, Everything was clicking. They had three first downs on three consecutive plays to start the drive. They get down in the red zone, and they just can't finish the drive. And it's it's a strange problem to see for this Packer team. And I think what it's highlighting, too, and this is something we saw a little bit last year, but because the offense overall didn't go through any lulls quite like the ones we've seen here in 2015, I think they do miss Jermichael Finley. I, I think that's a player that, that they never really replaced. I think having Richard Rodgers and, and Justin Perillo and Andrew Corliss when healthy as the three tight ends there, it, you lack a lot at that position. I know Finley would have bouts with drops here and there, and that's something that the receivers as a whole have just been struggling with all season. But having that threat in the middle of the field and then stretching the field with speed on the outside, not having Jordy Nelson obviously hurts a lot, but they don't use Jeff Janis to take the top off a of defense and open up some space for Cobb and Adams. Just doesn't really make that much sense. 
I just think the problem is even how we're talking with this. They're not using Jeff Janis to take the top off of defense. The fact that Jeff Janis is the guy that you're relying on to do that, I think maybe is part of the problem. Uh, obviously, they miss Jordy Nelson. I think more than anybody could have imagined. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who was probably a, what a consensus at least top fifteen, top ten receiver last season. But I think when he went down, you know, certainly people were worried. But I think the expectation was Cobb and Adams. And even Montgomery stepping in as a rookie, you know, he's been injured, hasn't been able to do much, that those three would still be able to carry the load. And with Rodgers, it doesn't really matter. But that hasn't been the case. I, I think, you know, is this partially Nelson's that good? And, and maybe Rodgers kind of relied on him a little bit more than we thought? I think it's actually more the result of several things kind of adding up. You know, Nelson not being there hurts, not having good tight ends hurts, Devontae Adams dropping everything hurts right those things are bad Cobbs had problems with drops the offensive line play hasn't been that good Ty Montgomery being hurt is the reason why Jeff Janis not taking the top off the defense is something you want to see it's really that's Montgomery's job if he's healthy because of Nelson's injury Montgomery should be that guy he has that breakaway speed and I think that was one of the things they did have earlier in the season they had him on the field I think that actually made more of a difference than people realize I'd like to actually take a look at some of the all 22 footage and just look at how differently the safeties are playing the Packers right now than they were in those first five or six games of the season when it seemed like this offense was still functioning not necessarily at an elite level but at a level that was high enough for them to be a favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl as of right now they look like a fringe playoff team, one that will likely lose its first game on the road as a wild card, but they can still turn things around. I think Montgomery getting healthy could be a huge part of that. It's one of those things people maybe have overlooked a bit. I would try to stash him away in a season-long league. He might come back as soon as this week if he's freely available. I'd go ahead and add him right now with the hope that he comes back and takes over a significant share of Devontae Adams' targets because I think Devontae Adams is playing himself into a smaller role as soon as the Packers have someone else they can put out there. Yeah, I think so too. I think oftentimes that receivers can be unfairly criticized. You know, when you look at kind of the discrepancy between targets and catches, and, and Devontae Adams had a couple of those games, very stark contrast, you know, high target, low volume uh, type, type of games. But I mean, even Mike McCarthy after the game, he had said something to the effect of, you know, Devontae Adams played poorly mentally, physically, just didn't look great out there. And, you know, Mike McCarthy's not a guy who usually goes after his own players. And I think even the fact, and, and obviously he was prompted, uh, you know, it wasn't like he just brought this up out of nowhere, but the fact that he did say that I think speaks to the fact that Green Bay is aware that Devontae Adams is not living up to to the expectations that, that, that were set for him at the beginning of the year. He's having problems getting out of his routes. He's having problems being on the same page with Rodgers. Obviously the drops, a couple big ones. One of them in the first half, you know, seeing it on replay would have been a sure touchdown. I think Rodgers made a nice play to get outside the pocket kind of threw across his body and you know, right off the hands of Adams for what would have been a long touchdown. Obviously, late in the game, he drops another one uh, that would have put Green Bay ahead. So I think he ended up taking the brunt uh, of the, the blame, at least on Twitter, from what I saw. I think uh, quite a few calls for cut Devontae Adams. Totally rational thoughts. I mean, the fact of the matter is he's probably like a Terrence Williams-type player. And when we see Terrence Williams in Dallas get cast into the same role that Adams is trying to play right now, it doesn't work. If you have him as a third or a fourth option, he can be useful, but he's just not a guy that you want as a one or a two, and I think that's the problem the Packers well, are really running the into. The thing about Devontae Adams is, does he have really an elite skill? He's not fast. He's not, you know, he's not overly physical. He's not clearly not a great route runner. He doesn't have the surest hands. I mean, 
I think he's good in most of those areas, and you know, you could argue recently that he's gone downhill in a few of those areas. But overall, I think he's very good at a lot of things, but he's not elite at anything, and and it's it's troubled to be. You know, the Packers are kind of asking him to be that de facto number one. You know, Ryan O'Cobb is it, probably whatever way you look at it, the number one guy in this offense, but he also plays a slot most of the time. And, and you know, when you're talking about a true number one receiver, this is usually a guy that's on the edge. And, you know, with Jordy Nelson out, that's Devonta Adams right now. And I just I just don't know if the skill set is there right now to actually handle those kind of expectations. I don't know what the Packers saw in him coming out of Fresno State, but they took him ahead of Allen Robinson, who was obviously a really good prospect and in hindsight, that pick looks completely awful. They took him ahead of Dante Moncrief, who I think is a little bit more of a work in progress, but athletically, Dante Moncrief is a better option, better player, I think, than Adams is. I think Adams also, we've talked about this on previous pods, he loses focus really easily. He gets really wrapped up in the officiating and calls he's oh, not saw, was getting. Was it the Carolina game yeah. where he, he ended up picking up a personal foul for yelling at the referees and there were some questionable calls on that one but that, you just can't lose your cool like that you're giving you're just giving away 15 yards you know at, at a time when you're attempting to make a comeback and you know plays like that like you said I mean that's you know maybe the most glaring example of uh, of a guy like him being rattled where you, you just can't have things like that happen they took him ahead of Martavis Bryant too by the way in that draft so plenty of good receivers were available Allen when- Robinson with, the, with this with Aaron Rodgers would be something. I mean, he's making it work with Blake Bortles. It was eight picks away, and the Jags traded up, I think, to get it, or maybe even uh, had a deal previously arranged. Nevertheless, like Jarvis Landry even would have been a better pick. He went a few picks after Devontae Adams. Yeah. So that's that's a, a rare spot where Ted Thompson really seems to have misfired in the draft. Well, and they've done so well with those high second rounders. and Generally you know, speaking, yeah. So it's not fair to necessarily just bury him based on that. By the way, the really smart team, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, of course, the they're geniuses. They took Paul Richardson 45th overall, so they they whiffed in, in that round, too. I mean, he's just a guy that maybe will return kicks for them someday, but probably we'll not. Well, now when Tyler Lockett's there. Exactly. Um, so what did you think of the, of the Brett Favre presentation at halftime of this one? We should say it was Bears 17, Packers 14. I don't know if we ever, we ever stated the score. You've probably seen that by now, but, you know, kind of the... The Packers played all right in the first half. They were right there. I think they were down one going into half. Uh, Mason Crosby tacked on a field goal uh, to, to make it, was it 14-13 going into halftime? So, you know, the momentum was certainly on the side of Chicago at that point. But, you know, the, the, the culmination of the night was this halftime show. And that's, you know, part of the reason this was one of the hottest tickets in years uh, for, for Green Bay. So they bring out Brett Favre. They bring out Bart Starr. You know how, how many teammates were there from you know from the the late '90s Packers? It seemed like 20 plus. You know all the all the big names from that '96 Super Bowl team. Uh, you know longtime teammates of Favre, and they kept it pretty brief. You know I, Bart, Bart Starr didn't even say anything. You know and that's certainly not not his fault. But uh, I thought maybe they would, they would make that a little bit more of a a spectacle than it was. Obviously he came out kind of made a lap around the field on a golf cart. Um, it sounded like the original plan was to have Starr kind of walk out by himself. Yeah, but it, it was slick. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it was pouring rain, and you know, just not a good idea. Obviously, for somebody uh, at that age with the kind of health issues that he's been through, um, but that that hug with with Favre and Star was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a nice moment. I thought it was kind of a short presentation too, but I guess those are the constraints of doing something like this at halftime as opposed to ahead of a game. That's when I would have expected it to happen. You know, twenty thirty minutes before kickoff, you do a ceremony for. 10 or 15 minutes right. I think that would make more sense even after than the game squeezing it in fine yeah and, and on a night like it was on Thursday it would have been pretty brutal to have right. fans have to sit out people there people would have stayed all night people would have stayed for that too and the conditions were just awful all day I mean it rained from the time that yep. game started until the time the game ended and 
for hours before and after. So there was no window on Thursday they could have got that game in. It would have been uh, a lot better. I mean, the only good thing about the Packers' performance is that Eddie Lacy looks a lot like the healthy Eddie Lacy we saw in Minnesota uh, the previous week. I think that bodes really well for the offense. Did have that weird flip the ball behind his back before he crossed the, the goal line play. I thought that was going to be overturned. I thought for sure it should have been overturned, right? Like, it, it looked like that ball was out of his hand I think they didn't, have, they didn't have the pylon cam going. It's inconclusive or something. The, the, the ref's wording on that after the review was the play on the field stands, not the play on the field is confirmed. I don't think, I don't think they quite had an angle, but I think if they would have had the right angle you know, right at the goal line, it seemed not maybe not obvious, but I think there was a very good chance that that could have been overturned and would have been a touchback, I believe, right? Yeah, it would have been a touchback because I don't think the Packers recovered. Well, Randall it. Cobb was like scrambling because he knew yeah, right away. It, it, and Cobb it, was, was going after the ball, but by the time he he had gotten on top of it, I think the play had been blown dead. So at that point, it would kind of default to a touchback. Yeah, pretty pretty messed up uh, play overall. Why do you guys do that? I don't, I've never been able to figure it out. I don't know if you, you, want, you want to drop the ball, run through the back of the end zone. Does anyone think drop it's it like cool to drop the ball, like get rid of the ball as soon as you can? Like, I mean, this happens how many times a year? What, three, four times? A handful between college and pro. Right. You see it every single year, and I don't understand why players it's, do it. It's more understandable to me if you're if you catch like a long touchdown or you have a breakaway type of touchdown, you know, a pick six or something, you know, where there's nobody near you and you're you're, you're running full speed and maybe you just don't kind of realize you think you're farther away than you are. But like Lacey was, this was a screen pass. Like there are guys around him. Like it's not like he had all this space to to whip the ball. Like I mean. It wouldn't have been crazy if he had it covered up, you know, as if he was going to get hit. There were guys around him. Didn't make any sense to me. Never does. Uh, fortunately, for the Packers' sake, it didn't completely cost them because otherwise the offense really sputtered after having some success early on. I mean, Forte and, and Jeremy Langford were working in tandem for the Bears. I, I think that might be a sign of what's to come the rest of the way because they're probably evaluating Langford as their long-term lead back and Forte may be out of Chicago at the end of the year. And the Bears are one of those teams that have played a lot better overall than I think the record maybe even indicates. And I think they've got a shot as an outside chance at the wild card, even if they can continue to play well. It's, it's a long shot, shot, but I they're mean, still they, in the they mix. They basically have to overtake Green Bay, right? Anything's get, possible, though, right get, now. You get three teams in the north, I guess. It's possible. I, I think it's more likely that they would just have to just pass the Packers or have a Vikings collapse, something along those lines. But they're still in the mix, at least, after getting this win at Lambeau. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you look at a team like Atlanta that kind of seemed to be in control of the wild card at, uh, a couple weeks ago, and they continue to free fall. So, I mean, if Chicago keeps playing like this, I guess they're, you know, they'll remain on the fringes, and, and who knows what's going to happen with Green Bay. So coming up for the Packers, they're at Detroit on Thursday, short week. Home to Dallas, at Oakland, at Arizona, and home to Minnesota. So those last two games, you know, which looked pretty big at the beginning of the year, look massive now. Yeah, I mean, I could see them winning the next three, potentially, getting some revenge on the Lions on Thursday, taking care of Dallas without Tony Romo the week after that, and Oakland to me is they just should, mediocre. Those three games should be automatic wins and look like automatic wins four weeks ago, but... I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I thought this Thanksgiving Day game at home with Brett Favre and Bart Starr there was, was you know, as much of a lock as it could possibly be, and, and look what happens. It's, it's the receiving core, though, right now. That and the offensive line is just not producing at a level that they need to if they're going to actually make a run into the postseason. The other games, though, on Thanksgiving, you mentioned listening to the Lions-Eagles game on the radio. I mean, the Eagles just gave up. I mean, they did. Chip Kelly was punting on fourth and two on his own 38 down 20. I don't that, that that to me is waving the white flag. That was in the third quarter. He he's not the guy that does that. He's the guy that actually says, I'm smart enough to go for this. So I think he's just packed it in. Yeah, it's it's 
odd what's going on with this team, you know, and, and I think Kelly is under immense pressure. I think that goes without saying from the fan base, from from ownership, from his players even. You know, it sounds like at this point, um, you know, guys basically coming out and saying they're fed up with his, his unique ways of practicing and preparing and, and just kind of how he runs this, this team, I guess. And you know, we talked about on the podcast last week how – Chip Kelly is kind of doing this his own way and failing his own way. I mean, is that better to you than if he had kind of if he had less player personnel control? And you know, I mean, I just think the fact that he's kind of in charge of all this is is really magnifying the scrutiny that he's under. Sure, you know, he's the one who made these personnel moves. He's the one that's installing this offense and traded for these guys, and it's just completely blown up in his face. Yeah, well, it it gives you no outs as far as having a scapegoat. If exactly. the GM builds you a bad roster as a coach, you kind of point to that and say, I don't have any talent. I can't do anything because th- this this group of players is awful. These are the guys he wanted. Uh, I think part of it is that they don't have a good quarterback. I mean, Sanchez, Bradford, for me, they're just average. I think the hope was that they could turn one or both of those guys into what Nick Foles did a couple of years ago. But even, even if Nick Foles in that offense that year was everything working perfectly, to expect that to happen again would be far-fetched. So I guess the more we, th- we think about it, it's got to be a combination of a few things. Their offensive line hasn't played particularly well. Their defense has completely collapsed. I think that's part of their problem right now. But their offense doesn't sustain drives at all. I mean, I know pace is part of that, but they are last in the NFL, again, in time of possession. And with that, the defense spends more time on the field than any other defense I think if things were going well, as they were the previous two years, you're going to get fewer players criticizing the coach for doing things differently, right? Chip Kelly's system, when things are going well, is brilliant. When it's different and things aren't going well, it's the stupidest idea ever because it's not like what other teams do. So I just think it's it's an outcome-based analysis from the players, from the fans, from everyone, and it's all of a sudden they've just forgotten that this team went 10-6 and six in his first two seasons. Right, exactly. So the Lions now won three straight. They beat Green Bay, they beat Oakland, and now they beat Philadelphia. Um, just the third time this season that they've scored 20 or more points, which is kind of unbelievable. Um, but, I mean, are the Lions a little bit better than we thought? Are they kind of starting to hit their stride a, a bit in these last couple of weeks, or was this just kind of a complete give-up job by the Eagles? I think the Eagles really just folded the Lions' offense is playing better since the switch to Jim Bob Cooter as the offensive coordinator. I mean, no surprise there. I've, everyone knew that was happening. Uh, but the other thing that's weird about the, the Eagles right now, I think, is that you, you've got a team that, because they're playing from behind so much, DeMarco Murray's not even getting volume. Like I think the overall results in this game were bad, 14 carries, 30 yards. But his per-carry numbers over the last several weeks overall have been pretty good. It's just that they get blown out. When they get blown out, He's not going to contribute. So Stafford had a huge day because of Megatron having a huge day. A lot of inexperienced DVs playing in this one. I think it's a perfect storm for the Lions. They they are a better team than their record indicated a few weeks ago. I think they're kind of a, a league average, like a seven-win team in a typical year. Maybe they'll win fewer games than that this year because of the slow start. That that uh, fluky loss to San Diego. They had a big lead in the first half. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of who they are. I think they're probably going to be a team that ends up below 500 this season, even though they are playing better now. Yeah, I think they ultimately will. I mean, you, you dig yourself that kind of hole at the beginning of the year. It's pretty tough to uh, you know, to, to climb out of that. But you, know, you mentioned the Eagles' offensive line issue, six sacks on Mark Sanchez in this one. He finished 19 of 27, 199 yards, did have two touchdowns, uh, those to Jordan Matthews and Brent Selleck. This Eagles team is just so frustrating. I mean, it, you 
I don't know what we expected necessarily from Chip Kelly. I was kind of hoping that the Oregon offense would translate a little bit better than it has just because it was so fun to watch, you know, and, and the breaking off big running plays is so big for them. And that's kind of what's been missing is as good as that Oregon offense was throwing the ball. I and mean, we saw Marcus Mariota just be about as efficient as anybody in the history of college football running that. They were so good with you know, with breaking off those 15, 20, 30-plus yard carries, you know, out of the shotgun on that read option type of type of plays, and we just haven't seen that at all this season. And, you know, DeMarco Murray's been able to, at times, get it going, but, I mean, 14 carries for 30 yards in this one. I, I, I think you have to point at the offensive line, but I also have to point – you have to have to point at DeMarco Murray and say, is this the type of back who can succeed in this offense? He's the complete opposite of the guys that we have seen have success at Oregon. And again, it's tough to compare pro to college, but you look at a guy like Kenyon Barner who had 30 yards on seven carries in this game. Obviously he's not the talent or anywhere near the talent that DeMarco Murray is, but guys like him, shiftier, smaller speed backs, maybe are a better fit for what Chip Kelly wants to run. Maybe. I mean, Kelly sought him out though. That's, that's where the personnel head coach overlap should work in his favor. He thought you Murray was a good fit. Right, but you can't recruit at the NFL level like you like he could at the college level. He could go out and get 40 guys a year from all over the country when he was at Oregon and say, this, you fit this position in my offense. You don't have that kind of flexibility in the NFL, and I think that's becoming a bit of an issue. And I think Kelly tried to do as much as he could. You, know, I mean, we, you very rarely see teams make, especially teams coming off of 10-win seasons, make the kind of moves that, that Philadelphia did. And I, I mean, maybe it's an issue of, they made too many moves. They tried to shuffle too many pieces. That could be part of the problem as far as getting everyone to gel together. But as far as Murray goes, I mean, Ryan Matthews is pretty much the exact right. same size. So they went out in free agency and signed two running backs who are the exact same size. So I don't think it's a, a fit as far as that goes. I think people like like pushing that narrative right now because for whatever reason, the traditional football fans love hammering on Chip Kelly when it's not going well because he's yep. so outside the box because Chip Kelly believes in science, so he, he must be a witch. Yeah, exactly. And there's still that it's, – it's odd. There's still that resistance to, like, the non-pro-style offense, you know, and, and that was even a knock on Mariota's. How is he going to translate going to a real offense in the NFL and not this gimmicky Oregon offense that has pretty much left defenses confused for the last seven years? Yeah, it's really strange they haven't been able to find something that works for them this season. I mean, there's a question here, where is Chip Kelly next season? I think, of all places, I think Tennessee is where he ends up. Yep. I think he ends up getting reunited with Marcus Mariota. And I think part of the reason, there's two two things I really like about that fit. One, Mariota. Two, they could let him have control of the personnel in Tennessee, and they're not going to be any worse off than they no. were. They don't have a recent track record of success to the point where there's going to be a lot of backlash. Right. It's a smaller media market, so you're not going to have the intense uh, scrutiny that he's facing right now. He can go there and do his thing, and people are probably going to be largely okay with it. So that, to me, would be his next logical step. I don't think he'd go back to college. I think he'd want to go to where Mariota is, try to make it work there, and if it doesn't work there, then he probably goes back to college in two more years. I think the, the USC opening was intriguing, but it sounds like they're going to go forth with Clay Helton, the current interim coach. He was just made the full-time coach, and you know I think at this point it would be very surprising if they were to move on during the offseason. I mean, the LSU job doesn't appear to be open anymore. But I really That seems to be like an hour by hour. Is Les Miles still going to be the coach type of thing? I don't know. Did you see on, on Saturday? So there's all these rumors you know, about LSU, this being Les Miles last season. There was some report earlier in the week that he told a, at a booster meeting, he said, this is going to be my final game. They're, you know, they're going to let me go. And then he goes out and wins on Saturday and gets carried off the field by his players while the fans give him a standing ovation. It was just like a, 
and then now you know come monday morning the the university is saying that he's going to be back so it almost like they want they like waited to see what happened on saturday saw the fan reaction and were like hey, maybe this guy's all right well you don't want to make the angry mob in baton rouge angry because that's a that's a tough mob to yeah. deal with I mean, this, but this is a, a debate for another pod i guess but just the the standards at those schools i mean mark Richt, what was he 15 for 15 going to bowls at georgia you know consistent top 25 if not top 10 top 15 program and it's just not good enough well Georgia's program is a lot like Wisconsin's program. It's like the SEC equivalent program where they just can't quite get to that yeah. national title level, but they're always threatening for the BCS, and they're usually going to one of the next best bowls if they don't make a BCS game, former BCS game. But if you think about what what can they do to get better, like there's not much. He recruits top-end talent, puts a ton of players in the NFL, there's nothing he can do. Like, it's just a product of having to play Alabama. And like, I mean, you look yeah, at, the, you're, look at you're, some you're, of the teams that have come out of the SEC, like the Alabama dynasty that's arguably still going on. Florida was unstoppable for a three or four years. The, year te- span. the Tebow and, years at Florida, right, good luck. Right. I mean, even back, if you look way back, you know, Tennessee was kind of at that level for a while. Um, LSU has been up. I mean, it's just it's a brutal expect, conference. Yeah, it's tough. And, and I just think you maybe you can do better than than Mark Richt, but. There's a big, big risk that you can't. I mean, you could also, you could also, you have a lot further to fall than you have to go up. Look know? at look at most of Brett Bielema's time at Arkansas. I know Arkansas is putting a lot of points on the board and they're playing a lot better this year, but that's kind of where you could go yes. if you let Mark Rick go and bring in another coach who's well, not accustomed to recruiting and playing against SEC right. teams. Even look what happened, you know, Tennessee. When, when did they fire Fulmer? I mean, this was. I always wonder how much how much other stuff did Fulmer have going on there that made them what they were. Like it, it's it's such a night and day difference. Like right. it's such a strange. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like they fell difference. off so quickly after that, and even, even Florida after Urban Meyer. Now you know they didn't fire Urban Meyer. Obviously, there were health issues or, or whatever it was with him. But you know, Jim McElwain, you know, comes in and and things are a little bit back to where they where they hoped they would be, but. I don't know, in Miami firing Larry Coker. I mean, there's so many examples of really good teams who were good for a long time, had one or two iffy years. The, you know, the boosters start to get upset. The fan base starts to get impatient. And then all of a sudden you're in this 10- or 15-year process where you, you just can't get back to where you were. Yeah, it's, it's strange. But I think the, the real takeaway here for someone like Chip Kelly is that there's seemingly always a signature program looking for a coach now. Yeah. Like, there's so much movement with coaches – Jumping from the NFL, getting fired because the expectations are ridiculous. That you know, staying in the NFL and going to a place like Tennessee, which is a job that I feel like very few coaches actually want, doing that's not that bad of a choice anymore because the opportunity cost is well, last last off season. Michigan's job was open. Yeah, you know, USC was just filled right now. If he waits long enough, his old job at Oregon might open up again if he wants to go back there. I mean, there's Miami's going to get filled now, well, but right. it's, Florida it, might be looking for a new coach again in a few years. Penn State or yep. or Texas or some of these. There's going to be some big program every year, every year. looking for a Bob new coach. Bob Stoops was on the hot seat going into this year, and all of a sudden Oklahoma's – There's what, another program. One, like, one. Yeah. What what do you want from Bob Stoops? Like, What more yeah. can he possibly do for your program? Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, and – yeah, I mean, again, this is probably a topic for the college football pod, but even, you know, Tom Herman at, at Houston, one year now, you know, after leaving Ohio State, and he's the top name on the market and can get any job he wants. And it's hard to, you know, you look at a guy and say, like, you'd like to think they could commit for more than one year, but if, if Miami's going to throw $5 million a year at him, like, why not? How can you turn that down? And uh, uh, one, of the, one of the juicier rumors I heard, this is a complete rumor, I just, I just think it's very interesting, is that Cardell Jones is going to graduate this year. And the expectation is that he'll go to the NFL, but his stock is probably as low as it's been in the last calendar year. And 
he could he could do a grad transfer situation and just follow Tom Herman, you know, the former OC at, at Ohio State last year, and just follow him wherever. That's an interesting. I mean, assuming move. everything clears out, you know, things like that academically. But you know, say Herman goes and takes a Miami job, Cardell could go there for a year. It could be anywhere. Cardell could, you know, maybe come to Madison and work with Paul Christ. Oh, I'm sure a dream come true, dude. For, I mean, like any quarterback. Hey, like, there was a, a short list of places that Braxton Miller was considering, and I, I know Wisconsin was near the bottom of that list, but it made it because there was a starting quarterback spot potentially I open. I, I read there, there's actually a couple weeks ago, I think it was on ESPN, they did a real long, in-depth piece on Braxton Miller, and it sounded like he was never actually going to transfer. It was kind of up to him. He was preparing as if he was going to come back and compete for the quarterback spot, and then he, he had a quote where he said where he – you know, midway through summer practice, he couldn't throw the ball more than 45 yards. And it was his decision to switch to receiver. He said he just couldn't throw deep balls anymore. So, you know, I mean, I think that still probably makes him like six times better than, than Joel Stavi, even if he can't throw the ball down the field. But I don't think Cardell Jones wants to boost his NFL stock by throwing passes to, to Jazz PV next year, <laughs> to, be, to be completely honest. <laughs> All right. Um, so your, your prediction on Chip Kelly is Tennessee. I think if you're looking just real quickly at other options, Miami might be open. Dan Campbell's uh, little rah-rah act has kind of fallen off the last few weeks. Cleveland might be open. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if the Manziel Chip Kelly pairing would be a dream come true for ESPN. Well, he, I think if he were to end up in Cleveland, which I don't, I don't, I don't think, think he happen. will. Uh, I think he'd end up with like RG three or somebody else as his quarterback. Like it, it would be, it wouldn't be with, with Johnny Football. It'd be, it'd certainly be interesting. I mean, RG three would probably be just as much of a storyline. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think Tennessee seems like the obvious one. I mean, weren't they maneuvering allegedly behind the scenes to try to move up for Mariota? Uh, the Eagles this is during the draft last yeah. year I mean it seems easier and can't get Mariota just go to where he is that's an easy column to write though if you're a, a national football writer yeah yeah absolutely um so Panthers 33 Cowboys 14 this was the middle game I guess the, the mid-afternoon the middle street. child of games yeah on, on Thanksgiving and weren't the Cowboys I think they closed as like a one and a half or one point favorite in this one a two-point favorite over the the undefeated Carolina Panthers and did not go well pick six on the first possession for Tony Romo another pick six late in the second quarter comes back out throws another pick this one was not a pick six but another pick right after that um and at that point I mean the game was pretty much over Romo gets knocked out of this game later broken collarbone basically re-injured the same injury from earlier this season and I mean we can officially 100% right off the Cowboys now yep they are done tough way for them to go out losing big at home on Thanksgiving in a game in which they were favored even though they were three and seven going in so still two games out of the division but yes three and eight now they're so done the sad thing here is if you're a Dez owner and you're able to hang around all season even with Dez's injury uh, you get him back Romo comes back you're looking at this and going, wow, okay, I'm going to make the playoffs in my league, and my team's going to be even better in the playoffs than it was throughout the regular season. Not anymore. Dez, for me, is not even a top 10 receiver when Tony Romo is out. We saw that earlier this year. Part of that may have been the foot, too, but I also think there's that risk that if the foot starts to act up again, the Cowboys could shut him down, even though Jerry Jones to this point is saying he needs to be out there, he needs to play. That tune's going to change very quickly the further away from the top of the division the Cowboys fall. I mean, they're not mathematically eliminated, but they're a week away or so from really being completely buried. Yeah, Washington beating the Giants, I think, 
somewhat yeah if you're jerry jones at least in his mind he's probably thinking you know we're in striking distance this is great you know, it is that, that, prevented, that basically prevented it from being a three-game deficit with five weeks left and now it's a two-game deficit uh still though i mean they'll need they'll basically need to to win at least four or five and need a ton of help so very unlikely to happen uh but they go to matt castle now back to matt castle 13 of 19 93 yards and a touchdown des just two catches for 26 yards in this one josh norman had some nice things to say about him after the game. Darren McFadden, 10 carries for 11 yards, did have 45 receiving yards, so at least you have that to fall back on if you went with him this week. Uh, but coming up for Carolina, I mean, we can actually start talking about will this team go undefeated now. Um, they're at New Orleans next week. They're home to Atlanta, at the Giants, at Atlanta, and then home to Tampa Bay in Week 17. Which of those games do you really not feel great about? I mean, at, at the Giants, at the 5-6 and six New York Giants? Probably at the Giants because they have one of the widest range of outcomes for a team, I think, in the league right now. We saw them play with the Patriots a few weeks ago. Patriots, I think, are still one of the more complete teams, especially in that game. They had Edelman and Gronk and Amendola. They had everybody pretty healthy for that particular matchup. I think they can be the most dangerous team of that bunch. On the road at New Orleans, on the road at Atlanta, should be difficult games, but both of those teams have been huge disappointments. And the Falcons... Who are the Falcons? I, 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 is Dan Quinn going to be a one-and-done coach? Because they started off playing so well, and they look they look Terrible. like a bottom 10 of the league team right now. Yes. I mean, they look awful. Yeah, and maybe even lower than bottom 10. I mean, they have been legitimately a bad football team for the last five or six weeks after that great start. and they, I mean, they just continue to, to slide in the NFC South, and they're still... They're still kind of in the driver's seat for one of these wild card spots. And we talked about Chicago and Detroit kind of lurking, but they're still sitting at six and five, uh, tied with Seattle, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, for what would be the second wild card spot behind uh, Green Bay at seven and four. So certainly not out of it, but I mean, it, Matt Ryan just does not look like the Matt Ryan uh, that we've seen you know, be at his best sporadically over the last few years but we'll, we'll talk about that game in a little bit just finishing out Panthers Cowboys Cam Newton fairly quiet in this one 183 yards through the air didn't throw for any touchdowns did rush for one um, and, and continue the dancing I'm, I'm sure you saw that I was actually in between Thanksgivings at the time oh really Cam hitting the dab you know it's uh well you hit the twist first hit the twist first then hit, hit the, the dab and then the dab Nice. Um, and I think he had some comment after the game to the effect of, you know, these old, old people are, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, were, you know, getting on him for his last dance. So he brought back the <laughs> twist, which is, you know, I, from what I understand, a, a very a dance that's been around for a while. I actually, I like Cam. I, I think he's just one of, oh, the I love Cam. one of the league's best quarterbacks. He's having fun doing it. And I, I think it's he was, uh, absurd that people even question or get on him for, for dancing. It's stupid. Right, yeah, and I think it was on Friday. He was at the Cavaliers Hornets game in Charlotte. You know, dab- I saw the shoes. Yeah, oh, those were excellent. Those shoes were nice. Um, dapping it up with LeBron, he showed Cam showed up to the game in a throwback Larry Johnson um, Charlotte Whoa, Hornets jersey. Teal. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was quite nice. Uh, Future was there, uh, the great rapper Future, and and they were seen at a at a concert together after. So basically, Cam Newton can do what Johnny Menzel does because. He's Cam Newton, and because his team is undefeated and has won 16 of 17? Well, I think the difference is we didn't see any photographs of, of Cam Newton at the concert or at a club. Well, there or are videos. Doing anything, but was he doing anything? He was on stage dancing. 
not with a big bottle of booze. He also in his didn't face, lie to the right? team and tell his friends to lie to the team. Either. Right? Yeah. I mean, he also after telling his coach he wouldn't do anything to embarrass the organization yeah. or do it like party. Like I don't know if he said he wasn't going to party, but he said he wasn't going to embarrass the organization during the bye week. And then he was seen drinking a bottle of Dom Perignon and singing. Uh, so yeah, you know, like not not illegal, but not exactly making the team look good for putting you in mm-hmm. as the starting quarterback and saying you're the guy. All right, so looking at the uh, – we'll start with the Sunday games. Start with Raiders, Titans, uh, the big one. Raiders 24, Titans 21. Tennessee was in control for a lot of this game. Um, and, and Derek Carr kind of led a, a late drive for Oakland to put them ahead with less than two minutes remaining. Nine-play, 90-yard drive to go in for the winning touchdown. Uh, that was 121 on the clock uh, when they punched that in. Titans come back out. Mariota throws a pick on a, on a kind of a long bomb to, to Doriel Green-Beckham. That ended up sealing the game for Oakland. But Derek Carr kind of getting back on track after a few disappointing weeks. 24-37, 330 yards and three touchdowns for him. One of his better games of the year. Amari Cooper, seven catches for 115 yards. Seth Roberts got over 100 yards. Two touchdowns for him, a touchdown for Crabtree. Mariota didn't look great. Did have three touchdowns, but completed less than half of his passes. Two picks. Um... But Doriel Green-Beckham, one interesting note that I saw, 16 catches on the season. All 16 of those have gone for first downs. I keep waiting for him to get more targets, and it's not happening. Targeted five times in this one, one catch for 22 yards. Uh, the kind of player that I, I would like even more if you know Chip Kelly were to be hired as the yep. Titans head coach, for example. No running game to speak of, though Antonio Andrews regressed. David Cobb really didn't do much, excuse me there, for burping on the pod. That's, that's pretty gross. Uh, but this is an offense that still lacks playmakers. I mean, they they need a number one receiver to pair with Green Beckham. Delaney Walker's a nice tight end. I, I, David Cobb, I think, could become an answer at running back, but they still need a second back to pair with him. So a lot of holes to fill. Hopefully they can do it because I think with Mariota, they at least are headed in the right direction. They have a good quarterback for the first time really since Steve McNair. Yeah, and Mariota, like you said, was a little shaky in this one, but I mean, you can tell. The tools are there. He doesn't look overwhelmed. I think he's well on his way to being a very good NFL quarterback. But like you said, this team is just so void of options at running back, at receiver. I mean, Delaney Walker, I think, has kind of been the lone bright spot at tight end. So I think when we, you know, when we talk about looking at the draft, this is a team that could pretty easily end up with a number one pick. Obviously, probably not going to go with a receiver or a running back there, but maybe they look to trade down. Uh, or certainly in the second and third rounds. I think in the middle of the draft is where they'll start targeting some of those skill position guys. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week 13. DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1 million goes to first place, and a total of $4 million is up for grabs. Go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That'll let you play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. So this is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Speaking of the big time, Bills 22, Chiefs 30. Five straight wins for Kansas City after five straight losses. They win in week one, lose five straight. Now they win five straight. Alex Smith, 19 of 30, 255 yards and a couple touchdowns for him. Big day for Jeremy Macklin, nine catches, 160 yards and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey also got in the end zone. Tyrod Taylor threw three touchdowns for Buffalo, two of those to Sammy Watkins, who's finally kind of come on of late. And isn't it remarkable? I'm sure we've talked about it on this podcast before, just what these Clemson receivers are able to do. And this is another week, you know, when you just look across the NFL and just see what what the likes of Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, 
um, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, the list goes on. Devil Sweeney, man. Wide receiver you. Relentless. It is. It's wide receiver you right now. It They're is. taking over. Sammy Watkins kills me in season long, though, because I never seem to time the market right as far as when I'm using him. He gets banged up, comes back, has a bad game. You'd sit him because he had a bad game. He goes off like this. I mean, a massive day for him. Tyrod Taylor played well, too, after getting beat up pretty good in that Monday game against the Patriots. I think that was a pretty impressive performance overall. How about Spencer Ware just continuing to run well? And you look at the Chiefs, it seems like just about anybody except for Niall Davis can run it behind that offensive line right now. It's got to be one of the top lines in the league, just given how they've pretty much been seamless in their transitions from Charles to Sharkandrick West and now to Ware. Yeah, Davis just kind of keeps getting the short end of the stick here, and you, know, you got to wonder if you know maybe he's not he's not showing enough in practice or whatever it might be. But yeah, Spencer Ware, 19 carries, 114 yards in this one, six yards per carry. Did have a 35 yard scamper, and, and of course a touchdown. So, I mean, is Kansas City for real now? Do we have to actually start taking them seriously as a as a second wild card contender? Yeah, six and five right now. I think they've definitely got a shot. I mean, you look at the way the the AFC playoff picture is shaping up. We've talked about it at last couple of weeks, and the one thing that I really thought would happen that the Steelers would somehow catch the Bengals. That's probably not going to happen now, based on what happened this week. But at six and five, I mean, they're to me they're as good as any team in the AFC South, which shouldn't have a team make a wild card, and that leaves. Basically, the two spots for the Jets, the Bills, the Steelers, and the Chiefs. I think two of those, two of those teams go. I think the Steelers are still one of the best, of probably the best of the bunch. I think the Bills and Jets are too inconsistent, and the Chiefs seem like they're really locking things in where I, I like them more than the Jets and the Bills right now for that last playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, we're assuming New England you know, should pretty easily cruise to the, to the AFC East, Cincinnati in the north, Denver uh, sitting at 9-2, and two in the west you know that that seems like maybe too big of a gap for kansas city to close i think down the stretch even with another matchup remaining um but yeah like you said six and five kansas city indy and houston both at six and five one of those teams obviously will get the division uh so at that point you know we're looking at kansas city houston the jets pittsburgh i think oakland's probably a a step below right now you know sitting at five and six that's a lot to ask uh with only five five games remaining so I still don't love this Kansas City team. I think any team that loses five games in a row in the middle of the season has pretty serious issues, but they at least appear to be peaking at the right time. Yeah, they do. I think they've they've got almost everything you want. I mean, they've got a quarterback that doesn't make a lot of big mistakes. They've got a running game that's effective. Jeremy Macklin had a big game in this one. Travis Kelsey is one of the league's better tight ends. They have a defense that can get to the opposing quarterback and make plays in the secondary. So they don't really have a, a glaring weakness. I think Alex Smith would be the linchpin, or if you're gonna you're gonna make someone uh, fall apart, like he'd be the guy that would be most vulnerable. I think, but at the same time, they've improved the weapons around him to the point where I actually kind of believe in what he's been able to do this year. Chargers thirty-one, Jaguars twenty-five. I think Jaguars can probably kiss their AFC South hopes goodbye in this one, as uh, both Indianapolis and Houston come away with victories this week. Really can't believe I actually thought there, there was part of me, uh, and this was reflected in my in my Pick'em League that I actually thought the Jaguars would win three straight games. What was I thinking? Who would have thought they couldn't win three in a row? I mean, that's um, disappointing. But Julius Thomas had a big game. Allen Robinson scored in this one. Allen Hearns got banged up. He suffered a concussion. Just four for forty-two prior to suffering the injury. So that kind of opens up even more targets. I think for Julius Thomas in the short term. 
uh, the albino tiger, I believe, as he's referred to by Jags offensive coordinator Greg Olson. Marquise Lee maybe has a role at some point down the stretch if Hearns misses significant time, but uh, big loss for the Jags, especially being that this game was at home in San Diego, hasn't been playing all that well. Whatever rift seemed to exist between Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates, that's gone. Gates scored oh. twice in this one. Rivers had uh, 300 yards, four TDs, and Stevie Johnson did kind of what you expect him to do as the current number one receiver on that depth chart. Yeah, this is the first Jags game I haven't been able to watch this season, and I guess I picked a good one. Um, but yeah, you know, in reading the gamers and, and watching the highlights, you know, the Blake Bortles interception, uh, I think late in the second quarter, it was what really, really ended up killing Jacksonville. They're down 14 to nine at that point. He throws a pick deep in his own territory. San Diego's able to punch that in for another touchdown to go up 21 to nine heading into halftime. And, you know, San Diego gets the ball back at half. It was just one of those plays that, you just you can't have that happen and stuff like that has happened so often over the last year and a half with Blake Bortles and you know it is only in his second year and you know mistakes like that uh, I guess are part of the deal but just a tough way for that for that to go out Jacksonville uh, had a bit of a chance I mean they mounted a comeback in the second half got it to within 24 19 and then gave up a a long six minute drive that, that allowed San Diego to pretty much put things away midway through the fourth quarter um but yeah, like I said, a disappointing result, but at the same time, I think most of me knew that this Jacksonville team was probably never a, a serious division contender. Meanwhile, Melvin Gordon, 19 touches, 80 yards, hey. trending in the right direction. Hey. Still hasn't scored yet, but it's going to happen. Maybe maybe it'll be week 13. It certainly could be. Uh, Allen Robinson, like you mentioned, eighth in the league in receiving yards, tied for third in receiving touchdowns, and first in 20-plus yard receptions with 21. That's four more than anyone else, and I think it was Gronk is number two with 17 so you know at least there's bright spots you know the last few years the Jaguars have been struggling and you look and they're just terrible across the board but they actually seem to have a legitimate passing game and and they're fun to watch that's that's the the one thing that's set this season apart from the last few single digit win seasons they are a better watch TJ Yeldon was a bit of a disappointment in this one good matchup against that Chargers run defense just nine carries for 36 yards they were playing from behind, but they weren't that far behind. You know, this wasn't one of those games where you get down 21 nothing early and you have to, you know, just kind of scrap and claw your way back into the game. I, they went away from the run much more than, than I would have hoped. Only 19 total carries, six of those uh, by Blake Bortles and, and what are basically scrambles and, and not designed runs. So, you know, the, the, like we just said, I mean, the passing game has been a lot better. I, I don't think they would have wanted Blake Bortles throwing the ball anywhere near 49 times at any point last season. So, now that speaks to, to to the comfortability they have, but you would like to see a little bit more of an even split, especially when you have a guy like Yeldon who's been running well and healthy. Yeah, that, that's that is kind of surprising that they would abandon it if it wasn't that far out of hand. But he did contribute as a pass catcher, four for forty six. Uh, I, I think he's a pretty decent all purpose back. They're using him almost as advertised, which bodes pretty well, I think, for his future. Yeah, he's he's been impressive, I and mean, he ha- he doesn't have he's not one of those guys you watch like Todd Gurley, and you just think, okay. Yeah, as, even as a rookie, you just kind of know this guy's going to be good. I mean, I think he, but he also doesn't look like, you know, some of the running backs we've seen come in. Bishop Sankey, you know, talking about Tennessee coming in last year, and it's kind of evident from like week two, three, like, oh man, we might have whiffed on this guy as a second rounder. And I think Yeldon at least looks like he can be a consistent NFL starter going forward, even if he's just more of a, you know, if he tops out as like Jonathan Stewart, Justin Forsett, you know, maybe maybe not a, a top ten back, but somewhere that probably in the ten to to twenty range, I, and I think that's fine in a league that that really doesn't really value having that one premier running back like it used to maybe 10 years ago yes steady rb2 i think is the likely forecast for yeldon moving into 2016 colts 25 buccaneers 12 matt hasselbeck 
4-0 on the season. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how this is happening. But 315 yards, two touchdowns, no picks for him. Dante Moncrief, big game, 114 yards. T.Y. Hilton caught both of those touchdowns from Hasselbeck to go at 95 yards. Jameis didn't look great in this one, didn't really kill Tampa Bay. Uh, one touchdown, one pick, 245 yards, kind of a so-so day for him. Doug Martin, 97 yards on the ground in what's quietly been a really, really good year for him. Mike Evans, 64 yards on five catches. And I talked about Doriel Green Beckham being a first down machine. But Mike Evans, if you're talking about guys who have at least 40 catches, he's far and away the leader as far as first down percentage. 41 of his 49 catches this year have gone for first downs. Yeah, he's a guy that's going to make a lot of big plays. You can look at it in the 20 and 40-yard catches he's had over his time in the NFL. I mean, that's just the type of guy that he is. Big target, good speed. So that makes perfect sense to me. I, I just I can't figure out one how the Bucks lost this game by thirteen, and two how now the conversation has shifted to the Colts are better off with Matt Hasselbeck than Andrew Luck, which just seems like a nightmare of some kind. Well, the numbers back it up too. You know, and that's the thing is that you know Hasselbeck's passer rating is better, his completion percentage is better, his turnover percentage is better, and. You also look at the opponents that he's had to face, and, and I think that probably has a lot to do with it as well. I mean, Luck had to go up against um, Denver, Got the England, Jets early in the year. Jets, yeah, so, so better defenses and, and better offenses that he's going against as well. So you have to you know, take those kind of numbers with a grain of salt. But I think Hasselbeck's just kind of been – he's been able to limit mistakes a lot more than Andrew Luck. And there were a couple games this year where Andrew Luck has hurt the Indianapolis Colts and you know you look at that Carolina game he was so bad for three quarters but then he led the comeback that that forced overtime they obviously end up losing um and you, you gotta wonder it's like does Matt Hasselbeck you know get that team back in the game like Luck did probably not but at the same time Matt Hasselbeck doesn't make the risky throws that that can sometimes lead to turnovers that that were kind of getting this team in big holes through the first five or six weeks of the year yeah looking at the the schedule Luck faced the Bills the Jets Titans on the road not a bad spot there uh, New England, New Orleans, that was at home also, went on the road to Carolina and then faced the Broncos at home. Like That's not a, not a, it's not a favorable schedule no. at all. No, and I think this Colts team didn't really quite turn out to be as good as we thought they would be. Um, you know, the additions of Frank Gore and, and the shell of Andre Johnson kind of weren't really the boost that, that everybody thought. Um, so, so maybe we just kind of had to temper our expectations. Like, those look like you know, I, I think those all looked like 50-50 games to start the year. You know, you're, you're looking at Colts, Panthers, Colts. You know, Colts probably one of the teams, the two or three teams on New England's schedule that you thought, you know, this might be a loss. And I think it's partially they're just not as good as we thought, and it's partially that some of those other teams on the schedule turned out to be pretty damn good. Yep, it's a mix of those two things for sure. And Luck, I think, also was playing through a couple of different ailments during the season too, so he wasn't at 100. percent I think that makes it. Uh, also difficult to know just how much of it was the difficulty of the matchup, how much of it was luck just being a shell of the player we expected him to be. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was watching the the uh, Steelers uh, fake punt. I don't know if you saw this uh, against Seattle yesterday. This is this is the first I've seen of the highlight. They They lined up in some sort of... Landry Jones was the punter and rolled right and tried to throw across his body. Shockingly, he was picked off. Wouldn't they have known when Landry Jones lined up to punt that something strange is about to happen? Like, yeah, what's going to happen there? Like, Landry Jones isn't going to punt the ball, and he's not going to run the ball. What's left? Maybe yeah. he's going to pass it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it's uh, Chuck Pagano's move, if, if you're looking at it from just bizarre fourth-down calls. But we'll move on to Redskins-Giants. Washington 20, 
New York 14 in this one. The NFC East just continues to be an unmitigated atrocity. I don't know. Are any teams good? Are any teams bad? All bad. Um, I, I stand by it, though. The Giants, to me, have the highest ceiling of any of those teams, so I think they're still the best of the bunch, even though they lost this but, like, one out why? why do we think that? I, I think I might agree with you, but like, what have they more, really more shown? Playmakers. They gave up 52 points to the Saints. Beckham can take over a game, yeah. which we saw another ridiculous catch yesterday. They have the best player yesterday. in the division, that's for sure. They've got the best player. The running game bothers me, just the way that's handled. But I think the defense, the defense is okay. At times, it has the potential to be better. I think that's that's the takeaway. And Washington at home's actually been pretty good this year, so I, I don't know if losing there is quite as bad as it might seem on the surface. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this this Washington team, I think, has has garnered quite a bit of flack from from fans and from analysts just for for a variety of reasons that involve off the field uh, issues. But yeah, I mean, like. Deshaun Jackson coming back and being the deep threat that this team needs, I think, is big for them. He had a 63-yard touchdown in this one. Kirk Cousins seems to be kind of an every-other-week type of guy, but 20-29, 302 yards and a touchdown. That's exactly the kind of game they need from him. Alfred Morris got things going, 78 yards on 23 carries. Matt Jones mixing in there. Didn't have quite as much success, but uh, you, you at least like to see the dedication to the run game in this one and 31 carries between those two guys in a game that they did lead for the most part so that probably had something to do with it um but you know at at least Washington isn't putting it too much in the hands of Kirk Cousins it's weird that Alfred Morris is now getting almost three times the carries of Matt Jones when a couple weeks ago it looked like Jones was clearly the back to own there so I mean I picked up Morris in the Stopa League going into this week I didn't use him but I just picked him up as the what could go right sort of guy and that's probably about as much as I could have asked for in terms of the carry split heavily favoring a guy that nobody wanted coming into this week right what was it what week two week three matt jones was taking over the nfl and was, was the number one right uh, waiver claim guy and it just seems forever ago that you know he, he kind of fell back into the background pretty quickly there yeah he, he really did I, I don't know if i can even play alfred morris in that league maybe i can pair him with something else to a team that is desperate for a running back and try to make a trade yeah he's one of those guys that you know one week you might get this you know 80 yard performance next week it could be six carries for 24 yards probably what's going to happen if i do end up having to rely on him though at some point texans 24 saints 6 texans d finally showing up 35 points allowed combined over the last four weeks those have all been wins for bill o'brien's club new orleans 10 carries for 50 yards in this game not much of a dedication to the run game obviously they trailed quite a bit brian hoyer 21 of 27 205 yards two touchdowns and a pick Pretty quiet day for DeAndre Hopkins, you know, on a a day when this Texans offense actually kind of had it going, uh, which really hasn't been the case for most of this year. But just five catches for 36 yards. Uh, He's another guy who's been a first down machine, another one of those Clemson running backs. Alfred Blue, 77 yards and a touchdown. Very weird breakdown of carries in this game for Houston, though. Akeem Hunt, Jonathan Grimes, Chris Polk all got in on the action. Uh, and you look at this from a New Orleans perspective, they're probably dead in the water at this point, right? Yeah, it seems like it. And it's weird to me that DeAndre Hopkins didn't do more. I think the ownership rates, as we saw earlier in the week, for DeAndre Hopkins were crazy high based on the Thursday contest. Uh, not surprisingly, because Saints defense has been just that bad. But fading him definitely made some sense, and it paid off if you did it. And if you tried to pay up for him in a cash game, uh, you were sorely disappointed. Alfred Blue probably wasn't owned very many places, but 16 carries for 77 yards and a TD leading that running game was, to me, one of the more surprising lines of the week, even though the Saints have been a bad defense all year. And should, I mean, pretty much anybody, any running back that's going to get volume, I think, is useful against that defense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're among the, the top two or three defenses that you target. The Saints did not have a first down in this game. I don't know how that's possible. Um, no, that can't be correct, is it? No. No, it's not. Yep. And we have an error on the stats page. Never mind. It's like No first downs? It says, yeah, it says zero first downs, zero third downs. Like, do they just punt on second down every time? No, that can't be right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, still not the result that they're looking for, obviously, um, as I struggle to get the, the stats page back up. I think Cyber Monday must be crashing ESPN's uh, box score. People are buying a lot of stuff from ESPN. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it must be those Seattle 12th fan jerseys from the NFL shop. Oh, yeah, we all want those. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, really not much to talk about. We could probably move on. I think we talked about Houston already being, you know, probably in control of the AFC South, depending on how much you like Indianapolis and that quarterback situation. And not much of a, a quarterback appeal situation in, in Houston as well, I guess. But look at the rest of their schedule. They're at Buffalo, home to New England, at Indianapolis, at Tennessee, and home to Jacksonville. So that week 15 at Indianapolis game might end up being the deciding factor because you like Houston chances to beat Tennessee and Jacksonville in, in week 16 and 17. Yeah, they may just have to win three of these last five, though, if one of those games is that game against the Colts. Vikings 20, Falcons 10. Minnesota now back in the driver's seat in the NFC North. They go a game up on Green Bay. Falcons continue to plummet after starting the season off well. Is Matt Ryan actually good at football? Yeah, he's okay. I mean, he's just not the top eight quarterback that we expected him to be. So I think if you grade him properly, he's like a slightly better version of Matthew Stafford. And he has Julio Jones instead of Kelvin Johnson currently at his peak. So I'm disappointed in what I've seen from Ryan over the last few weeks. But, uh, man, it, it's uh, it's strange to me just how bad the Falcons have become over the last month or so. Eight touchdowns and eight picks over his last five weeks. Four of those games, all, each of the last four, uh, have been losses. They've lost to Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Indianapolis, and Minnesota. And, you know, Minnesota's not a bad loss, but the, the rest of those three, very difficult to swallow for a team that started out 5-0, and was 6-1 and after beating Tennessee at, at the end of October. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off the Falcons bandwagon. I, I kind of thought that they were, they were at least going to give Carolina a run for their money in the NFC South, but... I think Carolina came a, a Seattle loss away from clinching a playoff berth, and you know they're they're obviously going to cruise to the to the crown in that division, and you know wouldn't be a surprise if Atlanta just completely falls out of the playoff picture altogether. Yeah, I, after seeing what they did at home against Minnesota, how they've been pretty bad at the Georgia Dome all year too, and they just don't seem to have the swagger of a playoff team. Like they fall behind, and they don't seem to have the ability to get back up from it, which is really surprising given the firepower in that offense. Right. They didn't have Devontae Freeman in this one, but Tevin Coleman goes over 100 yards on only 18 carries. Did have a costly fumble uh, in this game as well. But, you know, the, the weapons are still there. I mean, they didn't. I don't think they were banking on Devontae Freeman being the Devontae Freeman that we've seen this year. And even with that breakout performance, even with the best receiver in the game right now, they're just unable to put up points. And it's kind of shocking. Teddy Bridgewater was... Very Bridgewater-esque in this game. 20 completions for 174 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. I mean, Minnesota seems to be kind of winning in spite of him, uh, although he's never really doing quite enough to, to put them in big holes. Uh, like I said, Tevin Coleman, 110 yards on those 18 carries. AP, 29 carries, 158 yards, two touchdowns, 29 receiving yards. Big day for him. Does he have a real shot at the MVP? No, running backs don't win that award. It's for quarterbacks. So it's either Cam or Brady? Yep, it's one of those two. That's it? Is there anyone else in the race at this point? No, I think it's just the two quarterbacks. 
I think I think Cam's got to be in the driver's seat now. I think it would have been it would have been Brady, but the mystique of the sixteen and zero season, I think now that that's gone, uh, gives Cam the upper hand. Not not just because the Panthers are also undefeated, but I think he's got he has a, a stronger narrative right now behind him. I think Brady had the stronger narrative had they gone undefeated after everything that happened this off season, but I think Cam has kind of won his way into into the public's heart for the most part. Yeah, I think the possibility of the undefeated season does put him ahead right now, but it's going to be those two at the end of the season, one of those two winning the award. All right, so AP now leads the NFL in rushing by over 100 yards. Can you name the rest of the top five? <sighs> top five in rushing yards? Probably not. Uh, um, anybody coming to mind that actually played all year would be a good choice. Wow, throw that list down there again. You, you got it hidden up there. I got it written in white font. It's in white. I should have. I knew I should have just highlighted. So number that. two, Doug Martin. Okay. I, it would have taken me a couple guesses to get to Doug Martin. I, I, I wouldn't. Only, I wouldn't have got any of these guys. I think. Yeah. I, I think I could have got Martin after a few guesses, but I, I wouldn't have guessed that he's the only other guy over a thousand yards right now. Jonathan Stewart is third. Chris Johnson uh, of the Cardinals is fourth, and Todd Gurley, despite missing what did he miss the first three, four weeks of the season? Yeah, several weeks. Uh, he's fifth. Surprising he's been able to do that, which gives you an idea where he's at, yeah. dynasty-wise. Elite, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so quick, who wins the NFC North? Minnesota. You're, out, you're not trusting Green Bay? No, I don't trust them. All right, I'm with you. I'm, try, I'm trying to go with the jinx route, probably, too. <laughs> all right, Bengals 31, Rams 7. Bengals now back on track. Uh, at least seemingly after those two straight losses after they began the season at 8-0. and This is a pretty bad Rams team, and I think this is a very good Bengals team as well, but this is a Rams team that beat Arizona, that beat Seattle in the first couple weeks, and they look nothing like a team that could contend you know, with, with a serious actual contender in, a, in either conference. Yeah, St. Louis to me is a definite non-playoff sort of team. They're 4-7, and seven, so that kind of speaks for itself right now. Eric. Very hot take. Uh, Todd Gurley only had 19 yards in this game. That's the real surprising takeaway for me. And he's still in the top five in rushing. Yeah. Like we said. So he's, he basically, you, can count, you can count this as a missed game, essentially, too, just production-wise. Uh, so hats off to the Bengals' defense for really bottling him up. Tavon Austin played pretty well. Kenny Britt led the way for the receiving core. Nick Foles had a very Nick Foles game, three picks, 30 of 46. I mean, Nick Foles throwing it 46 times is not That's a recipe an automatic for success. Win. We, we even saw Sean Mannion in the game for St. Louis and this one this got out of hand uh as expected I guess fairly early and yeah Sean Manning actually looked all right six to seven 31 yards for him Foles pulled after those three picks I, I don't know if it was necessarily a benching of Foles or as much as it was a waving the white flag you know, a, a mercy were, benching right kind of a mercy benching I mean, they were down 31 to 7 going into the fourth quarter I, I, they figured why not give Manning a couple series so yeah I mean the rookie out of Oregon State great college player Probably has as good a chance as Nick Foles or Case Keenum to succeed in this offense. Yeah, the Rams are on that list of teams that definitely need a quarterback. We talked about a healthy Peyton Manning and where he might end up. I think St. Louis is one of those places that, that could end up being a good fit for him, depending on whether he's healthy enough to play in 2016 and beyond. Right. I mean, but what, looking at the St. Louis team, like, are they a quarterback away? Are they one of those teams you know, that you look at as, man, if they had even a, you know, a top 20 quarterback or a guy who could kind of creep into the upper half? of quarterbacks would they look like a playoff team to you or do you think they need help elsewhere like when you're talking about it from Peyton Manning's perspective he wants to go you know we're, we're make, jumping to conjectures here kind of no one really knows what Peyton wants to do next year but assuming he does want to play and assuming it's not going to be Denver you would think he'd want to go to the place that has the most around him and Denver was pretty much an ideal scenario for that well yeah because of the Demarius Thomas Emmanuel Sanders the duo defense, right but 
I think if you look at the Rams, they've got the defense, they've got a decent offensive line, they've got the running game. They just need a couple weapons on offense. If Manning's going to be the addition in free agency, it's not going to be a big long-term deal. It's going to cost them money, but they can afford him. It's not like they're going to sign him to a seven-year deal or something ridiculous well, like that. It's the Rams. It's the Rams, so you never know. They want to lock <laughs> Peyton up. Peyton signs a seven-year deal. Peyton's age 46 season <laughs> is, is locked up. Uh, but the Rams could probably find a way to get a quality receiver in the draft, maybe get another one in free agency, and build up the weapons around him pretty quickly. I think that's that's the those are the missing elements. They I mean, they drafted two receivers two drafts ago. So in, in 2014, Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey, teammates. Obviously, Stedman Bailey out indefinitely, I guess, with gunshots to the head, I mean, although he does seem to be recovering uh, pretty well from what the team has said. But both of those guys are kind of the same type of player. You know, they're basically your – and you look at, the, look at this game on Sunday. But Tavon Austin, what did he have receiving? Six catches, 33 yards, but his impact was on the ground. You know, running those jet sweeps, lining up in the backfield, 63 yards, had a 60-yard run in this one and a touchdown. So I almost feel like they drafted two guys who are almost Percy Harvin-like in that you can't depend on them to actually be pass-catching receivers every down. They're guys you want in your team as playmakers, but they're not necessarily the number one type of weapon that you can line up with an inexperienced quarterback. No, but I think you could get maybe like a Tyler Boyd type player yep. or a, a Coleman. You know, I think yeah, there's a couple. Like, you know, you hate you. You'd like to think that teams don't like to double up on positions. You know, in two out of three drafts. You know, they they, they spent two high picks on Austin and Bailey. Uh, obviously, last year they they went defense and then. Now, or excuse me, they went girly this year. Um, and now you think, you know, do they want to go offense again in this draft? And they might have to. You know, the defense is looking pretty good. They, re- they really don't have a ton of holes on that side of the ball. So I think you could afford maybe not a first-round pick, but if you're looking at a high second-round pick, like you said, a guy like Tyler Boyd, a guy like Laquan Treadwell if he falls, or even Corey Coleman. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to bring in Mario Puig maybe during the offseason to talk about the NFL draft. But Corey Coleman was a guy who was maybe looking like a first-round pick when Baylor was cruising. And you know now that uh, Seth Russell has gotten hurt and Jared Stidham has gotten hurt, his stock has fallen. So you know, plenty of options, certainly, for St. Louis. But I think if they want to be an attractive destination for free agents, um, you know, if they don't opt to draft a quarterback, then that's kind of the way they have to go about it. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think the other thing that's interesting about the Bengals-Rams matchup is that the carries are once again in favor of Jeremy Hill. If you look at the Bengals' backfield, 16 for 86 for Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard 10 for 16 in this one. He's averaging 5.1 yards per carry on the year, so it still seems like he's the better back of the two, especially if you're getting points for receptions. Uh, but at the same time, it's a good sign for the Bengals' offense to have Jeremy Hill running pretty well again. So Denver... Uh, you know, they've won two straight with Osweiler, but still big question marks as far as what he'll be able to do on a playoff stage. New England loses last night. Gronk's banged up. Their entire offense seemingly is banged up. Is New England still the favorite to you, or do you think Cincinnati can creep into that discussion? I think Cincinnati could get into that discussion, but I think it would take uh, a couple more losses for the Patriots to cough up the home field advantage. I think that's the big difference is in the postseason, as it's lining up right now, New England doesn't have to go on the road. Well, the big question with New England is just how many guys can they lose before it actually starts to affect them? And I guess last night, maybe we saw that. You know, once Gronk went down, obviously, you know, New England ended up losing that game. But at the same time, they were in a position, you know, where if the defense gets a stop on that first Denver possession, all of a sudden New England's in control and has a chance. But obviously, the offense never got that chance. I think, you know, with going in, looking at it right now, I mean, New England hoping to get. Um, you know, Damian Amendola and Julian Edelman back at some point. But if those guys aren't cleared and, you know, and it sounds like with Edelman, what is like maybe week one of the playoffs? For yeah. Him, and that's such a big if, you know, and 
it, New England has proven time and time again to just be able to plug and play. But at some point, I think you have to look at a team like Cincinnati that's had perfect health throughout the year, two very productive, very healthy running backs, a quarterback who's playing the best football of his career, a high-end number one receiver. I mean, they really are the total package. And New England's a better coach team and has the you know, the pedigree, I guess, behind them that, that it makes it tough to bet against. But, yeah, at some point, health has to take over. And I think Cincinnati, you know, might have the edge in that matchup just because of that. Well, and that's been the difference for them as a team this year. You think about last season, Marvin Jones went down, Tyler Eifert went down. Green just having down. those two weapons yep. in particular. Yeah, Green got hurt late in the season. They've been a pretty healthy team to this point. If that holds up, that could actually give them the edge come playoff time. I think the good news for the Patriots is that they're on track right now to have that opening round by, which affords Julian Edelman some extra time to possibly get back if he heals up quickly enough. Jets 38, Dolphins 20. Um, the Dolphins looked pretty good in the first two weeks of the Dan Campbell era. They have not looked so good since then. Uh, they're a four-win team. The Jets finally getting back on track after two straight losses to the Bills and the Texans. Ryan Fitzpatrick, four touchdowns in this one. Brandon Marshall caught two of those. He finished with 131 yards. Eric Decker had a touchdown, 62 yards. And Devin Smith, uh, the rookie out of Ohio State, also getting into the end zone through the air for the Jets. Chris Ivory, 87 yards and a touchdown. One of the more productive days, obviously, that we're going to see from this Jets offense. Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 58 times. And this has been kind of a recurring thing for him this year, these high numbers, this high volume. And Miami just continues to have an aversion to running the ball. Nine carries total for this Miami offense. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And if you're a Lamar Miller owner, the roller coaster ride continues. Uh, it's been great some weeks. It's been awful some weeks. And I don't know what which to one, expect Which one next. was it this week, Derek? Which one was it this week? This was awful. Five carries in two yards for Lamar Miller. Yeah, if the team ran it nine times. I'm going to go ahead and just bet on the awful, unless he ripped off like four 40-yard runs or something. Nine but carries for 900 yards. That'd be, that'd be pretty great. But <laughs> Jay Ajayi is around. He's getting a handful of touches. I mean, they just fell so far behind so early that they eventually abandoned the run completely. Ryan Tannehill, I've just never liked him that much as a quarterback. I think he's good enough, but not a guy you want slinging it all that much. You want to play good defense. You want to play the kind of game where you can run it 35 times and not have to worry about Tannehill airing it out quite that much. He's got weapons. He's got Jarvis Landry. He's got Devontae Parker. He's got Cameron. He's got Stills. He's got good running backs. If you can't produce with those guys around you, I'm not sure you can produce at the NFL level on a consistent basis. Yeah, that's a good point. And you don't think of this as a high-powered Miami offense by any means, but one of the better, probably a top seven receiving core in the league I, I think you know maybe they don't have that high-end number one receiver but the combination of Parker Landry guys like Ajayi catching the ball out of the backfield he's been good over the last couple of weeks throwing Jordan Cameron in at the tight end position Kenny Stills even Greg Jennings who's been disappointing but still a veteran presence you know a guy with a proven track record the weapons are there but yeah like you said I mean when you're playing from behind and you have to throw it 58 times uh, that's certainly not going to be positive for them um, I mean, anything else from this game? Really, this was pretty much, you know, look at the score. You can pretty much jump to conjecture as what actually happened here. As you pointed out on the on the outline here, the Dolphins' first eight drives went as follows. Punt, interception, punt, 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 punt. Nice. Nice performance. Yeah, and you know, shocking that running the ball only nine times results in a hell of a lot of three and outs. Cardinals 19, 49ers 13. Uh, obviously, the Cardinals got the win here, but still one of the more unexpected finals uh, of this Week 12. Yo Gabba Gabbert, 25 for 36, 318 yards. Uh, well played there, Derek. A touchdown and an interception. 
Sean, are we going with Sean Drone or Sean Drawn? It's Drone. I think it's Drone, but I want it to be Drawn. Like that just sounds way. That sounds so much better. I think it's Drone, like the things that can deliver you coffee if they're good or destroy you if they're evil. Yeah, one one extreme or the other. Fifteen carries for Drawn, fifty-one yards, five receptions, thirty-five yards. So a decent day all around from him. Didn't find the end zone though. Anquan Bolden had ninety-three yards on eleven targets, eight of those uh, resulting in catches. As you say here, Derek, Carson Palmer is not a doctor, but he said that he believes both Chris Johnson and Andre Ellington will miss time. So more value for David Johnson, who, who uh, leads all rookies in touchdowns? Yeah, he, it's funny that he, he has that distinction, even though he doesn't get that many touches and special teams have helped and he's a good pass catcher. He seems like a good physical inside-the-tackle sort of runner, too. Uh, I think David Johnson stands to see a significant boost in value, of course, if, if either or both of these guys miss some time. Dr. Palmer... Uh, not really clear on his diagnosis, so I'm a little frustrated there. But nevertheless, I always thought he was a doctor. I, he's got a soap game. opera doctor name. Yeah, he does, Doctor Carson Palmer. I mean, that's that's some days of our lives stuff right there. That's that's what that is. At least the passing game seems like it's coming back together. Mostly John Brown being back, five catches for 99 yards. But with that, Michael Floyd very quiet, two targets, one catch, 14 yards. Fits. Gets targeted 14 times, catches 10 for 66. Sort of a disappointment when you think about just how bad San Francisco's secondary has been against the pass this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one that really wasn't decided until the end, and you know, Arizona certainly controlled the game, but I think they had a little bit more trouble stopping this Arizona, or excuse me, the San Francisco offense than they thought they would. I mean, this was tied at 13 going into the fourth quarter, but either way, Arizona gets the win, and I mean, they still look like probably a top two or three team in the NFC for sure. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I mean, I think right now they look like the most complete team in the NFC. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they a couple questionable losses. We talked about the St. Louis loss. Uh, they felt a shorthanded Pittsburgh. I think that was one of Landry Jones's first starts back in you know, week four or five. But I mean, really, ever since then, and you know, able to come back and, and beat Seattle and beat Cincinnati. Uh, I think I think they're as legitimate a contender as just about anybody right now. Seahawks thirty nine, Steelers thirty. Not a must-win for Seattle, but pretty close to it. Uh, you know, with the way things are shaping up in the NFC, uh, huge performances really all around. Russell Wilson had a huge game in this one, as did Marcus Wheaton, two hundred and one yards on nine catches and a touchdown. Uh, you also say he had a catch that was not really a catch, but by NFL rules, it wasn't a catch. Right? Please explain. Uh, he had a, a ball that on the field was called a catch, been a catch running out of bounds, and uh, Pete Carroll challenged and actually had the catch overturned, even though it looked like he had complete control as he ran out of bounds, and then I think he fell after he went out of bounds, and that's the point where he maybe didn't have full control of the ball. So NFL yeah. catch rules are still pretty awesome. Uh, you, you've seen, I, I know you haven't seen many movies, but you've seen Wedding Crashers at some point, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Big Ben is... You remember the scene where they're playing football in that movie? Yep. Big Ben is Vince Vaughn in that movie. Vince Vaughn just keeps getting <laughs> killed by Sack Lodge, like every single play. That's <laughs> what Michael I Bennett see. Michael Bennett, Sack Lodge? Yeah, Michael Bennett played the role of Sack Lodge this week. He's always getting destroyed. Like, he's, he's the largest quarterback I've ever seen who takes a beating on the field. Usually the guys that get hammered are like the Vicks and the, the RG3s, the smaller quarterbacks yep. that hang in the pocket too long. Roethlisberger just gets abused week in and week out. And that's immediately the thing I thought of. I'm like, this is this is Sack Lodge on Vince Vaughn 
all day. So Sack Lodge, that's is he Bradley Cooper in that? That's Bradley Cooper. Okay, that's, yeah, just, just around the same page. Bra- Bradley Cooper's had a pretty strange career arc yeah, right? when you think about it. Like going from Sack Lodge to some of the roles he's played that actually are like he's really award worthy. After I don't know, I, I don't want to. Was it The Hangover that like sparked that? I mean, even though The Hangover probably doesn't go down as one of the better movies of all time, it was certainly one of the most popular. I feel like as somebody who has no movie knowledge at all, that was when I first was introduced to Bradley Cooper as like a big time actor. I thought. The Hangover was a documentary. Is it not? Was that not a 30 for 30? Uh, I just thought it was a documentary. I thought it was just a few guys going to Vegas. Like, I thought it was like a, like a real movie. Wait, for real? I mean, it's like, it looks like it is. Well, kind of. Bradley Cooper just acts exactly the way you'd expect him to act in real life in that situation. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I could maybe see that. Ken, I, I, you know Ken Jeong is a doctor in real life? What, what do you mean about... He's an actor. Like, well, he was a doctor right. in real life. Now he's a full-time actor. But he actually how great, was, how great is that? You can just flip between those two not at all lucrative careers. Well, yeah, but you got to get naked and pop out of a trunk yeah. in a in a comedy first before before you yeah, can you make the earn transition. Your stripes, you know, it's just like that. You got to do that. To you be got you to prove you're serious about being an actor and no longer be a doctor anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, other notes from this one, like you said, big performance from Ben Roethlisberger. Only one touchdown, but 456 yards. Uh, the bulk of those going to Marcus Wheaton, D'Angelo Williams, uh, just under 90 yards on seven catches out of the backfield. Martavis Bryant, five catches for 69 yards. Antonio Brown, like you see a big yardage total from, from Ben Roethlisberger, and you'd expect that to be reflected on Brown, but just six catches for 51 yards. By his standards, a pretty slow day on 12 targets. Yeah, I think he saw a decent amount of Richard Sherman in this one, but Marcus Wheaton just tearing it up was the story in this one, I think, as far as the uh, Steelers pass catchers go. Nobody saw that coming. Now people are going to go to the waiver wire and try to pick him up and try to profit, and they're going to be disappointed because there's not that much to go around most weeks behind Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant. You mentioned Russell Wilson, five TDs, 345 yards in this one. Doug Baldwin went off, six for 145, three TDs. Jimmy Graham actually played a decent game, four for 75 on eight targets, but he suffered a torn patellar tendon, same injury that knocked out Victor Cruz a year ago. His season is over. Also it's got to hurt, like, real bad, It's right? got to kill. It's got, it's got to be one of the more painful oh. knee injuries you can suffer. But Jimmy Graham, I mean, I have to wonder if this delays the start of his 2016 season, just given that Victor Cruz had such a difficult time coming back to this. I know the calf became the problem for Cruz, but if it's not rehabbed and strengthened properly, it can be a pretty long-term injury. Yeah, I don't even know, you know, Victor Cruz aside, I think this is probably, you would think, at least one of those, you know, nine, ten-month injuries. So I think, you know, as us, again, not doctors, um, I would say it's very fair to say he, his status would be in jeopardy for week one, certainly for the start of training camp, but you know we'll know more uh, in the next few days. But either way, big loss for Seattle as they still kind of try to scrap uh, to get to get one of those final wild card spots in the NFC. And I mean, if you look at the field right now, we kind of ran through it a little bit earlier. Do you like Seattle as a team to, to kind of contend with either Green Bay or Minnesota for one of those spots? Yeah, I mean, I think, like we've, we've talked about this before, I don't think the NFC East gets a second team in because no. they're terrible. I don't know if the South gets a second team in, though, it's, either. It's, I, it could be Atlanta, but they have to pick I, things up. I mean, they're I've both they're Seattle six and five. Seattle 6-5. and five. Seattle over Atlanta, and yes. then the loser of the Vikings, Green Bay, which, unless the Packers turn things around considerably, I think will be the Packers getting the other wild card. So to have uh, the Green Bay-Seattle wild cards this year kind of makes you think we're in line for some pretty interesting postseason so t- talking about jimmy graham going back to that real quickly luke wilson steps in you would think as the number one tight end probably more targets for baldwin curse 
uh, and Lockett overall, but is there one of those three guys that you think maybe has a little more value in these last few weeks? They'll probably just spread it around. I mean, I think if you're in a two tight end league, Luke Wilson maybe gets enough to where you can plug him in, but even that seems like a stretch. It's probably just like a, a target or two for everybody in the offense as opposed to one guy just stepping up and doing what Jimmy Graham was doing for the Seahawks. That seems to be the case, too, overall, when you, when you have a major guy go down. You know, we, we talked about it with Jordy Nelson way back at the beginning of the season, and you know, everybody wants to say, oh, well, we'll just take his 10 targets and give them all to Devontae Adams. Like, it very rarely works like that, where one guy just ascends to the next level when one guy leaves. You know, it ends up being a redistribution all around. I hate when it happens, like the volume happens the way you expect it to, and the results are so bad like they are with Adams. <laughs> We won't, we won't even revisit that. I they don't want to. They just keep doing it. Yeah. Well, was it was it two or three games ago where he got over 20 targets? He had 21 targets against the Lions. And what, like 10 catches? Six, eight, something like something that. Like, not even the yard, yards? The yard, you know, I think it was, might have been 10 catches, but the yardage count was low. It was like was 10 catches for like, for like 90 yards or something. It was awful. Yeah, well, again, we won't get into that. Final game um, of, the, of the weekend now, of course, with Cleveland-Baltimore on Monday night. Patriots 24, Broncos 30 in what was a very entertaining game. Did you get a chance to watch this one? Yes, I did. It was uh, part of the let's put the Christmas lights up on the tree evening, but I, I got to watch most of this game, and as it got closer late, I got to watch it very closely. Um, I was surprised that throughout this game, they couldn't get Demarius Thomas to produce. I mean, I, I know New England has a good secondary or at least a decent one, but 13 targets, one catch for Demarius Thomas, i, I I'm shocked that Second happened. Second player in NFL history to ever have that many targets and that few catches. Hmm, if since, I, since the NFL started tracking targets in 1992. So I tried to just highlight the area next to where you wrote that down on the outline, hoping that in white text you had like the last player to do that, and it, it's not there. No, it, uh, I can look it up very quickly. Um, but no, it was somebody, I think it was from like 1996. I remember it not being a big name, at least to me. Um, although if you're getting 13 targets in a game got to be a fairly big name got to be guess, something useful yeah nobody from what i could find this is using pro football reference from what i could find no player had ever had zero catches with that with at least 12 targets i think it was so wow. this this is basically tied for like the worst ratio of catches to targets ever well Devonte adams remains a prominent part of the packers offense and he will do everything in his power in week 13 <laughs> he's got his eye on to this? become the first <laughs> player to receive 12 or more targets and not catch a ball all right yeah, let, me, let me see if i can pull up here so we're going to search fewer than two receptions, at least 12 targets. Again, not many guys have done this. Um, who was it? While, while Nick does that search, I mean, the amazing thing about Gronk, as we've learned more information today, he was carted off the field in the fourth quarter of this game with, with what looked like a really serious knee injury, and he may not even miss a game. They're saying he's got a, a knee strain. He's week to week. So even if he doesn't play in week 13, he should be back hopefully before the fantasy playoffs, which is pretty surprising if you saw how much pain he appeared to be in uh, when this injury happened. You know, the Broncos ran it really well last night. C.J. Anderson, 15 for 113, two TDs, including the game winner. Great uh, interview after the game, too. I don't oh, think I missed, I've ever I, seen I, anyone that happy. I didn't, uh, I didn't get to see the interview. But the amazing thing about C.J. Anderson, too, is that he's finally looking at the player over the last few weeks that people were expecting to get after spending a first-round pick on him back in August. Yeah, and that game-winning touchdown was impressive, too. A couple broken tackles, pretty uh, pretty lame effort by I don't know who it was. The for, safety made a, took a bad yeah, angle to him. Yeah, and, and, I mean, he didn't even slow up. I mean, he didn't even change his course. He kind of just ran as if the safety wasn't even there and, and was able to get by him. Obviously, tough conditions out there. But uh, going back to Demarius Thomas, the only player with 13 targets and only one catch was Tony Martin 
of the Chargers uh, against Tampa Bay in 1996. I do remember Tony Martin from my dad's fantasy football leagues way back in the day, but yeah, not a not a household name for a long period of time. And the only player with zero catches with at least 12 targets in a game was the great Carl Pickens for Carl, Cincinnati back the, in 1993. You know why that happened is because all 12 of those targets were from like 50 yards away. <laughs> what did they do? I, this is obviously quite before my time. Did they just whip it down there every time yeah if you go on youtube and watch a carl pickens highlight montage it'll be jeff blake just throwing the ball as hard and far as he possibly can downfield and pickens is trying to run behind everybody to go catch it so in this game you know looking at the box score uh it looked like there were two quarterbacks going for cincinnati in this game david klingler yeah david uh, klingler people were really excited about david klingler when he was coming out and it didn't work out was he wasn't he kind of like a colt brennan type of guy like yeah, he had some crazy college Grant stats. Harrell, yeah. Uh, and Jay Schroeder, Jay Schrader. Yeah, Jay Schrader was a Raiders quarterback for a little while. Yeah, both look to be pretty uh, ineffective in this game, so I guess that, that goes to explain it. But either way, I mean, looking, looking at the context of this, a, a historically, I don't know, I mean, was it, a, was it a bad performance by Demarius Thomas, or was it just a mixture of Osweiler not getting him the ball? I mean, there were certainly a few drops from Thomas, that's for sure, and, you know, the conditions obviously weren't ideal uh to, to be seeing that many targets with, with that with the wind that was there and the snow but still an interesting line from a guy you would never expect to to have that kind of line it seems like a kind of a perfect storm I mean no pun intended just the crap dealing with the weather and just the drop passes Osweiler being inexperienced like all those things kind of coming together for Thomas to have a pretty to pretty be fair his night. one catch was a big one it was late in the game uh, it was like it was a 30 some yarder down the sideline that that ended up helping them yeah get one of those scores but yeah still very uh, just an odd tidbit I guess from a huge win and it, it looked like New England was going to do just the typical Patriots way of you know it looked like Denver was going to win this game and then you know, I mean the perfect Tom Brady late game drive get into field goal range Goskowski has no problem kicking a long Crushed field goal that. yeah just he hammered that no doubt no that, doubt as soon as it came off the foot right down the middle of the upright snow wind doesn't matter um and it was kind of shockingly quick how, how how quickly it was over in in overtime you know that long run and then that was that there goes the win streak well, yeah, Brady wanted a holding or maybe a pass interference penalty on that opening drive. I think he may have been right to be upset about the lack oh, of a call. Oh, yeah, that probably should have. Yeah, that should have probably been pass well, interference. They, they also got they almost got... burned on the call where there's an injury. Denver had an injury. It was on the last New England drive where they were down three. Yeah, the excess timeout. I think a defensive tackle. You know, it, it basically, I think Denver was out of timeouts at that point, so it was kind of an official timeout to get him off the field, and they right. ran the clock. While New England was still, you know, getting set, and I don't that, that is correct, that, right? so that actually was right. They, was. they they came back in overtime. Al Michaels made a point to talk about it more on the air because it seemed like it was wrong. Everybody yeah. thought it was screwed up because it wasn't a regular timeout; it was an excess timeout, and they called it that when when right. they explained what it was. I think the problem is the excess timeout is so rare that the players in the field don't know the clock rules for an excess timeout. I mean, well, it, I, don't think, I don't think the coaches did either. No. I mean, Belichick was the first one out there. And, and Belichick, to me, seems like a guy that knows if, if you're going to give all the coaches a rules exam, Belichick's probably going to do better on the rules exam than pretty much any other coach so that he didn't know. Gives you an idea of just how obscure the excess timeout for the defense is. Because if it's an offensive player, there's a 10-second runoff. If it's a defensive right. player, they don't penalize the offense, but they also don't just stop the clock until the ball's snapped either. <laughs> we have NFL Network on in the studio here, and they just showed Carson Palmer's uh, attempted spike after his rushing touchdown yesterday. And basically, instead of, you know, you know when Gronk spikes it, the ball just 
flies up it basically went at like a 20 degree angle and just about clipped a photographer who was sitting about five <laughs> feet in front of him and then palmer tripped and fell after so palmer is uh, palmer is not a doctor <laughs> and he's not a gronk either no not at all um but yeah i mean does the streak really mean that much do you think to new england do you think they wanted it sure i mean every team wants to actually go 16 and 0 and then run to the playoffs win the super bowl but at the same time i don't think it was realistic to expect them to do it because the number of injuries they had they right. were going to eventually lose a game i think anyway i think in carolina the season. wants it I think Carolina has a chip on their shoulder because yeah. they were, I mean, like we talked about earlier, they were underdogs going up against a 3-7 and seven team as an undefeated team. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly the type of thing that can fuel those type of performances. I listen to, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Zach Lowe. He's a, an NBA writer, formerly of Grantland, I, I guess ESPN now. I'm not really sure exactly. He's kind of in between. But he, he had a podcast. He had Shane Battier on that I listened to over the weekend, and obviously we're doing a cross-sport reference, but Battier was on the Rockets when they won 22 games in a row. He was on the Heat when they won 27 games in a row, and basically Zach Lowe asked him, like, what is it like to be in that situation you know, when you get to 15, 16 games in a row? And you know that's probably the NFL equivalent of maybe starting 9-0 or whatever it might be. And I, Battier said it was interesting. He said on both, both situations, they never talked about it. The coaches you know, acted like it wasn't happening. The players, you know, you're aware of it, but you're never saying, like, he said they never got together and said, hey, let's do this. It was just kind of a game-by-game game thing. So it made me wonder, you know, do certain teams, you know, it probably depends on the leadership on those teams. But I think it's different in basketball than it is in football, though, because 82 games, you, yeah. know you're, you know you're not going to win all 82. Well, that's the thing. Like, you just know. Like, like a 72-10 and 10 season is historically the best winning season right. ever, right? And, and the Warriors have a shot at that this year. So I think that's really fascinating. But if you, yeah, if you win 20 in a row in the NBA – you're like, well, we know we're going to lose eventually. We just don't yeah, know when, and you don't, you don't think about it. That's true. Yeah, there's there's not the prospect of an undefeated season necessarily. I mean, that, that's something that'll never obviously it just, it happen. It won't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That that, that is a good point. I, I just thought it was interesting. You know, I think hypothetically, I think it would it would be an added incentive. You know, like, I don't see. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, yeah, let's try to do this. Let's try to go 16 and no. I, I don't. I feel like there's like this unwritten rule that you might jinx it if you talk about it. You know, like a no hitter. Probably. I think. Teams also would play with just an extreme amount of confidence in a winning streak like that. At a certain point, you're just like, yeah, whatever we do, it's going to work. Or if we're down seven with five minutes to go, we're still going to win by seven. We're going to find, we're just going to get it done yeah. no matter what because we've been getting it done for the last several weeks. You just have that specter over you that you know at some point it's going to end. And then, you know, that pressure builds with every single win. And you just know it. Like, we can't, we're not going to win every game forever. Like, is this the one? And, you know, then you start getting, you hear people say, like, oh, but thank God the Packers lost. And, in week nine or whatever it was, just so they could get that loss out of the way. And, you know, people talk about the Kansas City loss, what, 2012? Yeah, the people that say that, how many things do you think they've won in their <laughs> lifetime? How many, how many yeah, meaningful exactly. things are people that have said, oh, yeah, it was a good thing they yeah, lost? Good thing they lost to get that out of the way. Like, they, they got their requisite one loss out now. So. No, no real winner has ever said that. No. Uh, and by the way, I still have the 2014 NFL draft page open from earlier when I was, you know, looking up how. Packers took Devontae Adams over Allen Robinson. They also took Richard Rodgers over Crockett Gilmore. So at this point, at this point, I'm on the fire Ted Thompson bandwagon. <laughs> is, is Ted Thompson more at fault than, than Aaron Rodgers or Mike McCarthy? Yes, he's, he's building this. He's the one not spending any money. All right, my last Packers-related question, and we can wrap this up, is there's all the talk that Mike McCarthy should take the play calling back. Does that have any legitimacy to you? Because what was it... Eight months ago, people were clamoring for the other way around, for McCarthy to give it up. Now we want him to take it back. I don't really understand what the big difference is. I think Tom Clements is calling the same plays that McCarthy would call. I don't, I don't think the lack of creativity 
in the offense is a result of Clements being the play caller. I think it's a result of not having a lot of personnel out there and having some limitations that way. So to me, it doesn't matter if it makes people happy, then who knows, maybe they'll try it. But it's so funny how people flip-flop so quickly on, on something like this. Yeah, the one thing that stands out to me, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I, I know Green Bay hasn't been great on third down, but it seems like when they get into those between third and one and third and five situations, they always seem to make the wrong call. You know, you, it's easy as a fan to look back and you know use hindsight and say, oh, they should have ran it there, they should have thrown it there. Like, they always seem to choose wrong. You know, when you third and two, I'm usually a fan of run the ball, especially when you have a guy like Eddie Lacy. But it seems like when they try that, they get blown up. When they try to throw it, you know, something breaks down and Rodgers ends up going deep and it's incomplete or something like that. It just seems like those are the type of situations, the the in-between decisions that good teams get right. I think Green Bay has struggled in those situations. The same people, just thinking back to the people who, who never win anything and say it's a good thing they lost, those people are the ones that think that Aaron Rodgers needs to be more aggressive. They're like, oh, he, he needs to throw more interceptions. Like, what do you know? What do you mean he needs to throw more interceptions? Are you kidding me? That's basically saying he needs to, have, he needs to provide his receivers with more 50-50 balls. He, like, he what, to, what receiver do you want on the Packers right now in that situation? Yeah, I want Allen Robinson on 50-50 balls. Oh, wait, they took Devontae Adams ahead of him. <laughs> I can't believe this. People are people are lauding the Jaguars for a pick and lamenting the Packers. That I I would trade GMs with Jags right now. No questions asked. It's no dumb. questions asked. No are, questions asked. Are you reading asked. the JS comments account? Yeah, <laughs> I am. I don't know. I I don't know about that. I, I will say the Jaguars have done a decent job of retooling the last couple of years, but they're they're still years away from anywhere the Packers have sniffed the last six or seven years. I, I just, I, my mind is blown about the Adams over Allen Robinson thing. I didn't realize that happened until I just looked it up today. That wasn't considered a bad pick until like two weeks ago, though. Adams? Was it? it? Adams wasn't considered a bad pick until now only because the Packers took him. If any other team had taken Devontae Adams, most people analyze the draft and like, really? Why? Like, why now? But because Thompson has gotten it right so oh, many like, times. Oh, they must see something. Right. With, with guys like Cobb and, and Jordy Nelson, who were good players in college and got a little overlooked because of where they played, I think, at Kansas State and Kentucky, respectively. I think that, and, and Greg Jennings, too, that bought a lot of buffer. And in all seriousness, I wouldn't and trade Ted so. Thompson away for a different GM. He's actually a good GM, but... The 2014 draft, I mean, a couple of those picks look pretty bad given their needs right now and given how guys taken a few picks later have produced so much more than the guys they ended up going with. So let's say that this season continues as is. Maybe they sneak into the playoffs and they lose in the first round or they lose in the second round. Either way, they don't end up winning the Super Bowl or they don't make the Super Bowl, which would be most likely considered a disappointment considering where the expectations were at the beginning of the year. Is Ted Thompson more aggressive in free agency? Maybe. I think with Thompson, it's just a matter of the right player becoming available. If a Joe Thomas-type player became available, that's a franchise-changing free agent. But very, very infrequently do players like that become available. That's true. I, I just meant specifically at the receiver spot. Oh, and receivers? I guess it's different because Nelson will be back, too. So you, Yeah, yeah, you're expecting a healthy Nelson back. have an open spot or anything like that. I'm trying to think what receivers are going to be free agents this offseason. It's weird. It's not, like the, you know, it's not like the NBA where the hype train starts up at the beginning of the year and it's, it's almost all culminating in, in free agency. With the NFL, you, you can follow the league closely and still have to check. And well, It's because the contracts aren't guaranteed, so right. they can just end whatever teams decide yeah, they want exactly. to end them. And that's, that's really the bigger part of it. All right, that should probably do it, I would say. Uh, kind of a marathon Monday pod, but I guess this is what happens now that we don't have bye weeks. We've got a few extra games. We've got Thanksgiving to talk about. And a flat tire situation to go deal with mid-recording. I got a case of uh, the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout, though, while I was out. While I was waiting for the guy to come 
change the tire and put the spare on and all that. Went inside the coffee shop to get my lunch because sitting there hungry, I wanted to eat something. Walked back to the corner, and they had a few boxes, a few cases of the Bourbon County Stout from Goose Island, which most places will limit you to one bottle per customer. They, they let me buy a whole case. From the coffee shop? Yeah, from the coffee shop. People must not have known they had it, which is fantastic, because it came out on Friday. It's usually sold out by Saturday everywhere you go. Oh, really? It's what, it, They just have like a finite amount, and once they're gone, they're gone? Crazy demand for it, yep. Hmm. Well, congratulations. Um, it, it made my day. It was the best flat tire ever. <laughs> Did you have a couple while you were changing the tire? I, I would have. If, if, I had to change the tire, if I had to change the tire myself, I would have drank at least three of them. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for us. Uh, the Roadwire Podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday. We'll have the DFS pods this week. Uh, obviously, we missed a couple of days with the Thanksgiving holiday. We'll have the NBA pods back. NHL, everything will be up in full swing. So thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, as always, we're brought to you by DraftKings.com. They are the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit on DraftKings, and that'll get you a free contest entry today. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.